Hello, hello, welcome to the family show. Today, my guest is Jan Almasi. Jan is a United States military veteran and registered nurse turned entrepreneur. He is the fractional CMO for two rapidly advancing startups and works directly with the founders to showcase the nuances of their brand to the world. Welcome, Jan. What's up, PV? How's it going? <laughs> uh, Thank Jan, you for having me. Yes. Uh, today, I would like to discuss ego versus intuition. So my first question is, how would you define <laughs> the two? Oh, okay. I'm going to dive right into the, into the waters. Let's go. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I guess I'll start, I'll start with ego. Cause I feel like in order to actually articulate intuition, well, we'll have to kind of set the stage with that. So ego to me, I, um, I'm a huge fan of Jung. Carl um, Jung. I love Carl Jung. Yes. Um, and like the best way that I've heard the ego described in collaboration with like consciousness, the ego and personality, right? Is it, and if you're listening to this, you can do this at home too, right? So if you take a note card and you draw a dot in the middle of the note card, right? Um, or a piece of paper, that dot is the ego. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> now take a circle and like make to take like two or three fingers, right? And measure that out away from the center of the dot and then draw a circle around the dot. Okay. And that circle is like personality, right? Okay. So these are things that kind of form a shell around the ego or the ego will tell the personality to do certain things if it fears for itself right? In order to protect itself, it throws up these different parts of personality. And then if you take that piece of paper, right? So now we have ego in the middle, we have personality kind of this bubble. And then, so where is this idea of the self, right? And the self is the actual piece of paper. Like that's what everything kind of exists on, right? So your ego is like those pieces and there can be multiple dots on this piece of paper, with different, you know, parts of personality kind of conforming around it. So for me, I've always liked to visualize the ego as like parts of yourself that are maybe they're trying to manifest themselves and they can do that in mature or immature ways, mm. you know, and, and the more time you spend, cause you, you talk about like ego deaths and stuff that I'm sure that we'll dive into later on in the podcast, but that ego itself is, is something is a, is a piece of you that you have to work out or you have to kind of grapple with because it's not actually your true self, right? Like it's, it's a portion of it's of you that's trying to manifest in a different, in, in kind of a different capacity. Um, and so intuition for me is like now that interaction between pl the, the plane of the ego personality and that piece of paper. It's like how you interpret all three, right? It's, it's, it's like the process of being able to understand like, oh, this is my true self because I'm in a period of peace and quiet and I'm listening to things coming up from the subconscious and I'm processing thoughts and interacting with, you know, some say it's in, in prayer, it's like interacting with the divine, you know, for others, it's just, you know, observing your consciousness for what it is. Intuition is, is the ability to differentiate and kind of um understand what 
is actually acting? Is it the self? Is it a part of your personality or is it your ego kind of at the root of, of what the action is? Um, and that is constantly at odds. And one last thing that I'll kind of throw in to, to round out those definitions is like that intuition is constantly at odds with your intellect. Um, you know, because the intuition helps you organize this personality, ego and self, but intellect is your front consciousness. Like that's the, the smallest part of the brain that we're actually using is this, you know, this frontal part of our consciousness and intellect kind of lives there and it's trying to interpret and reason with all of those things your intuition is trying to deal with on the back end. So it's like your intuition is almost this thing that um, is able to, for my computer developers that are out there, it's like your back end code, right? Like it, it's, it's what is able to process all of that stuff and your intellect is like your forward facing user interface. It's the ability to actually grab the mouse and move and click on things. Hmm. So, okay, so you, it seems as if you kind of, uh, not correct me if I'm wrong. So what I'm hearing is mm -hmm. intellect and consciousness are similar to you. Are they one in the same for you or are they two different things? I would say intellect is like a toolbox that you can build up over time to interact with consciousness. It's they're, they're closely related, but they're not, I don't think you necessarily need more intellect to become more conscious, you know? Yes. Uh, yes I agree with you. Cause in a lot of cases I have seen where, uh, you know, living in your intellect actually kind of, uh, um, yeah, it might be the opposite. Effect. Yeah. The opposite happens where right. you separate from your consciousness consciousness because you start believing you are your intellect, bro. I've been right. there. I've been right. there with all of my schooling and education. I'm like, I'm so smart. I am my brain and my thoughts. And it's like, nope. And I think, and so this is where like, um, you know, earlier I, I, I referenced kind of the ego is those pieces of your personality that you latch onto. I think Sud Sudguru talks about it being like, like the opposite of having a flexible personality, right? Like you have these caricatures that you can build of yourself and he's, um, the meditation I was just listening by him right before this was talking about taking your personality and turning it into mincemeat, you know, and being able to rebuild that on a continual basis. Turning it into what? Mincemeat is oh, what mince he said. Oh, mincemeat. Okay. I yeah. see. I see. Yeah. So to just like break it down. Um, yeah. Because, just to like, kind of break it down. Yeah. Because a lot of times our personalities become rigid and then we mm -hmm. think that is the self. Right. And that's, and that's where I think intellect can be a trap because it's, 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 it's the piece that re takes that ego and makes it a dot instead of you like whole being able to hold your whole self, um, which is that whole piece of paper, you know, ego is what tells you, no, you need this pin, you need this dot. This is the most important part of yourself that you need to focus on. And if anybody tries to attack you for this, I'm going to get defensive. And that's why it puts those personality rings around it, right? Because it'll throw up those walls and it'll craft a personality that may not actually be you at your deepest level in order to defend this one part of your personality um, that it thinks is really, really um, perfect. Like a personal example for me, right, is there's um it took me a long time to publicly talk about the fact that i almost od'd in high school right and 
the reason why it took so long is because I had this personality, this forward facing version of Jan that interacted with the world that was a national honor student that was joining the military that, you know, went to nursing school and did all of these amazing things. But on the background, I had this part of my true self, my lived experience here on earth that I had all of these personality walls above. I'm like, I cannot talk about this and I have to defend this. If anybody tries to, you know, come at me for this or like, I'm just going to tell them that they're lying or they don't know what they're talking about. Like, you know, there's this experience that ended up becoming this ego driven anchor point that I just defended tooth and nail. And once I actually spent some time getting more comfortable with myself and realizing that that did not, that one experience did not dictate my entire plane of existence, those, I could drop that piece. And now I brought that more forward and I'm more comfortable with it. And I integrated it back into myself. And now I could talk about it freely. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I made it through something like that. And I'm grateful for the experiences that it gave me and the perspective that it's given me to the world. But that was a very long road to dissolve that ego point and kind of push it back into the self or, you know, erase the dot onto the piece of paper and just make, turn it back into a piece of paper. Yeah. I can relate when it comes to like, cause I attempted suicide twice throughout my lifetime and yeah. it was, everyone was, you know, people look back and when I share my story, people who knew me then are like, wow, I would have never guessed like you could have won the actress of the award or actress of the year award. And yeah, I'm that's like, wild, isn't it? Yeah, that's wild. In fact, Miss USA, uh, she she was like on she, such a bubbly personality and everyone loved her. And she had like she was constantly on the red carpet interviewing people. And like just I'm looking at her interviews and she's just like so she looks like she's enjoying life. Two days ago, she killed herself. Right. Which right. is crazy. Right. And yeah. like I do th believe that ego has a huge part in that. Um, where you you know your intuition has like dimmed in the background. Uh, one mm. example of mm. really seeing my ego about a year ago when I really started meditating one of my four hour long meditations, I remember going really deep within and I started seeing light. And then inside I saw like this beam of like reflective rainbow glass kind of uh, image inside of me and I was like, that is my consciousness. I got to protect this at all cost. But really what that was, was my ego, my ego, my fragile little ego, just like glass that was making me believe like, no, we got to protect this. Um, and I remember doing like that visual meditation, just like shattering it and be like, no, enough of that. Um, and it was like showing up in my personality as well. And ever since then, uh, my intuition has kind of it's it has served me well. Because like intuition is more of like a, a feeling, whereas like ego for me, I feel like it it colludes with my mind. As soon as my mind starts making up justifications and stories, I'm like, oh, that's probably my ego. Does that resonate at all? Is there can you give us an example of a time? Yeah. Um, 
I think that 100% resonates. So I've always tried to think of like, uh, these, these obstacles that I end up facing, right? Cause I feel like that's when my ego comes through the most, um, is when there are things that I am aware of, but these are things that like, I will actively do something. And in the back of my mind, as I'm committing that action, I intuitively know that that action is not the direction that I should be moving in. And I choose to do it anyway. Right. Like that's this weird thing about free will is like, you can intuitively know that it's not what you should be doing and you're doing it anyway. And then immediately following when that action is completed, um, my intuition comes back in and is like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Really? Like, um, the fuck did you just do? Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like I, I, there was this, uh, a program that I really love. Um, and if you, if you, you are the type of person listening to this, that you're into like challenges and, and things, um, of that nature, there's a gentleman named Andy Frisilla that I really love listening to. And he owns a company called first form. It's a supplement company. And he came up with this challenge called the 75 day hard. Oh, right? yes. And yes. <clears throat> yeah. And so uh, what I love about that 75 day hard is that it really puts your intuition into overdrive. Like that's one of the things that people don't talk about in the program. Um, they talk about, you know, discipline and, and being able to get in shape and how it helps you align yourself and all this other stuff. But one of the most powerful things that I've taken out of that program, um, I'm going to start it. I needed to restart. I'm doing it my second time right now. Um, is that it really, a speeds up because I don't really think you can completely get rid of the ego arguments, you know, unless you're meditating for hours and hours and hours for like 30 years of your life. Um, then maybe you have a shot. You just get better at a not engaging in the arguments and b speeding up the arguments. It's like, you just kind of get to the point with your ego and you're like, Hey, I know what you're doing. Like, let's just move on with it. And I'm going to do this thing that I know that I need to do. Um, and 75 day hard forces you to grapple with your ego a lot more because you would be surprised how many like excuses and other things that you're willing to come up with to prevent you from changing a piece of yourself that you know needs changed because of the effort that it takes. So when you say arguments, you mean arguments with yourself, correct? Arguments with your ego. Yeah. With yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, that really, you know, what's coming to mind is I recently learned a lesson and this came to me during a meditation just yesterday. So it's so funny that you mention it is that um, when we fight with ourselves, it's important to learn how to win. But when we fight with others, it's important to learn how to lose. Because like, mm. that's, that's ego, isn't that? Mm. Yeah. I love I love that because it's, it's, it's very um, close to a quote that, that a mentor of mine shared with me a while ago. Um, and I'll preface that by saying that I 100% believe that you need to learn how to win in arguments with yourself. I mean, that mm -hmm. is probably the best way that I've heard that said out loud. I mean, I, I think that if you can't win arguments with yourself, then people aren't going to be able to trust you because if you can't trust yourself to win over yourself, then it's going to be really hard for people yeah. to place their trust in you. Yeah. Um, and, and this other quote that it reminded that, that it reminded me of is um, when you win, what have you won? And if you've won nothing, let them win. Mm. And he would always tell me that when it, like when it comes to business practice, it, he was like, you know, you're going to encounter people where 
Um, I think the example he gave me back in the day is like, you know, I get into an argument with my 80 year old mother-in-law. He's like, I could intellectually and verbally put this woman in the ground if I wanted to. Right. But he was like, but when I win that trophy and it says verbally beat the shit out of an 80 year old woman, you know, what, is, <laughs> what does that trophy say? Like, you know, what yes. have you actually accomplished? Nothing. You just look like a complete douche. Like that's, <laughs> you, it's not positive. And so he was like, when you're engaging and you feel that, let them know. But I love that second layer because I haven't heard that, you know, that second layer is, yeah, but when you're in those arguments with yourself and you feel like you need to be able to hone which version of that your, of yourself is, you know, the correct one. I mean, and that's, that's basically what ideas are, right? Like we have a thought and then we break it into a whole bunch of different potential person, like options and one by one we start killing off the options that don't make sense right and so the question that i would like ask or i'd be curious about what your opinion would be on it is like what is what makes up the framework of how people choose to kill off what scenarios you know and how they end up with this thing that they're going to act on frameworks is a an interesting thing for me because like you know we as humans the mind likes to separate things out into like organized little boxes and that's literally what mm. a framework is you've created a right. frame that works for you <laughs> right um whereas like you know i was recently having a conversation with a friend and I love the way he thinks he was like well so the mind likes to separate things and so we think these are our fingers and then this is our hand and then this is our arm but the fact of the matter is it's part of this bigger picture the entire thing is your body right and so like the framework with which we we operate and where ego starts showing up i think it's when we start identifying with our personality and like so Mm. many of us take ourselves too seriously and life not seriously enough and for me it's only when i started taking my left myself less seriously and life more seriously where i was like oh pv you're a fucking idiot all right moving (laughs) on (laughs) <laughs> puff puff pass whoopsie daisies yep right, right. um i've dabbled in drugs uh okay not for me you know like and right. it's like all right i learned from that mistake if i like honestly i don't even like calling it a mistake because i realized that everything happens the way it's supposed to and that's my framework mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. how does what's your framework i would I mean, I would say like, I, I don't know if I, I necessarily have, I'm like build, actively building my framework constantly. Right. Like I think that, um, right. Yes. On, on, on one side. Yeah. It's like on one side, um, a frame, you know, you, a framework could be looked at as a frame that works for you. That's static, you know, like, and, and I think that a lot of the people that I've had conversations with around this, this space and this is why I'm like so excited to be engaging in more of these types of conversations. They look at that framework as semi-static. It's like, okay, I went to school for X. So the way that I interpret the world is through this lens. And then it's, you know, they, it's difficult for them to use the skill of empathy to uh, understand what it might look like looking through somebody else's picture or frame. Right. And so we're constantly like when we encounter somebody else's framework, we almost like butt that up against ours 
and and see like throughout conversations with that person watching yeah. how their lives live and they do all this other stuff and we see like wow like what this person is doing seems to be working for them i wonder if there's things from their framework that i could adopt into mine mm. um and that generally happens when you meet somebody that challenges the way that your framework is built and and i think that ego itself um, and I, and I want to get into some of the positives of ego too, and not just kind of talk about the way that it can kick your ass. Um, cause I do think it's a necessary part of that integrative structure that is our psyche, but that ego will come in and take those pieces, um, that you're trying to bring the most forward. Um, and it'll, it'll help you propel that outwards, you know, but, it, but when it latches onto it and like really starts to take control, is 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 like it, it if you give it an inch it will take a mile if you're not capable of kind of containing that mm -hmm. so yes that i 100 agree because a powerful man is the one who knows there's evil inside but chooses not to let it out can control mm -hmm. it contain the chaos you know a lot so like my framework is definitely like growth and i've realized a lot of people value growth very few people don't value growth. And it's like, mm. you know, everyone's out here like hashtag glow up. And I'm like, bitches, growth up. Like my yeah, growth yeah. can be strong. And that's my ego speaking. And that's how ego serves us as well. Right. Like that. Right. It's like it, that's why it's called growing up because we grow. Up. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I love like you know, that phrase in general, that the directionality of that, yeah, you know, is something that I think is, is very, very important. And if, if you're growing in an upwards manner, right. For some of us, it's vertically for other ones, it's not so vertically, you know, when it comes to height, like basic biological stuff, right. Mm -hmm. Everybody has these different stopping points mm -hmm. when it comes to height. But the cool part about growing up when it comes to what we're talking about with the ego and the other stuff, it's like, actually growing up is the ability to take more away mm. it's like when you're a little kid and you're you know i think that i'm 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 christian as a background right so like i think that there's this line inside of the christian theology that's present in a lot of other religions too that's like you know you want to have faith like a child um because child still experience the full weight and pleasure that can be happen from just raw curiosity and beauty and awe and wonderment and like all of these really really crazy mind-blowing parts of our reality right like like go back to like the first time you remember seeing something magnificent as a kid and just being like wow mm. like that's beautiful right and and the challenge is as we get older we are forced to adopt more and more frameworks, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of keeping on track with the conversation that we're having. And so then you end up with a framework for work. You end up with a framework for your social life. You end up with a framework for this. And frameworks for me are kind of interchangeable with like these, you know, bubbles of personality that protect these ego points like we were talking about earlier. And so you stack all of these up and now you're going and you have all these different parts. And at some point, and this is where people talk about, I think, this rise in awareness or they like level up in consciousness. At some point, you start to realize, holy shit, there are 400 versions of me <laughs> on yes. the planet. 
right? And social media and technology made it that much more possible for that type of thing to happen. And when somebody reaches the point where they become aware enough to accept the fact that that is exists, then the next part of that process is slowly but surely committing ego death after ego death after ego death. And it's a long road, mm. you know, mm. to try to take all of that and like re-piece it back together into yourself. But it is possible. And, and what I'm hoping will come out of some of like these conversations with people is to not necessarily fear the ego, but be aware of its existence and form a relationship with it. Yes. Yes. Like my consciousness is the parent inside of me. And then my mind and ego are my unruly teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, that's a really, that is a really good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you're going to tell them what to do and they're going to be like, fuck you, mom, and slam the door. And like, they're going to be and then I have to, it's like, yeah. Oh, and gosh, I have to be man. like, no, no. If you clean your room, then you can go grab a handful of chocolate chips from the cupboard. <laughs> like right, negotiations exactly. are happening. Inside. Yeah. Oh my God. The amount of times that I've done that, like standing in my kitchen, like staring at like a sink of dishes. And I'm exactly. like, <laughs> I really don't want to have to do that. And my intuition is like, yeah, but you should like, you know, you like, you perform well when your house is in order. And yes. my ego's like, nah, bro, you need a nap. Like, <laughs> you set take me care of yourself. your bio too. <laughs> His passions include psychology, philosophy, spicy ramen noodles, and naps in the afternoon. Yeah, Ladies, man. if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So okay. I do have a question because like yesterday I saw on the forecast that it was gonna be snowing out, and I was like, time mm. for a walk. Like, cause I like snow is just so wondrous. No snowflake is the same. It blows my mind. I'm just like, it makes everything so quiet too. Like yes. when it's snowing and it catches all the sound waves in the air, it's just like, yes, peace. yes. I love it. Meanwhile. So like I saw someone going outside um, and as they were walking out, they were complaining like, oh, all this snow, it's so gross out and stuff. And I was like, so that's a social framework that we've decided to adopt mm. along the way for some reason. And it's like right. the childlike wonder of like, bro, snow. Like some people right. see the snow and some people see the slush on the ground. And so like, I just wonder, like, do you think that ego hinders that childlike wonder? Does it like, it starts like consuming it over time? Hmm. I'm going to take a second on that one. You know, I, I think, I think consuming is, is a pretty good, I think consuming is a pretty good word to describe that because it's not like it takes it away all at once. Right. Like, there's not this magical period where, you know, except for maybe, you know, if you're, if you're Christian or, um, you know, like the minute that you realize that St. Nicholas is like, has been dead for hundreds of years and they're not actually putting fruit in your boots <laughs> on January 6th, um, as a small child, right? Like, or like when Santa is not real anymore or anytime there's like this, you know, fantasy world that, um, people have crafted for you. And then they all of a sudden tell you it doesn't exist. It's like, that's a wake up moment. 
where a whole bunch of stuff kind of crashes and a part of your childhood is like yanked away by the ego almost because the byproduct of that is you now realize like you can't trust everything that your parents are telling you a hundred percent. Right. It might be just a tiny little version of that, but it's still uh, that seed. And that seed is useful for you in life. You need to know that, right? Like you need to know that you can't trust 100%. Um, Otherwise you would just be a doormat in the world, right? Like you, you'd have to you'd be able to orient that. Um, so that's a piece of it. But then as you get older, there's not like, you know, this magical moment where you wake up and all of a sudden your childhood's gone. Um, it's like an accumulation of stuff. And, and the ego will start to eat away at that childhood wonderment. The more time you don't dedicate to engaging in it, right? Like I, I wrote this post over Christmas this year. And I love Christmas lights and I love ice skating. I love hot chocolate. I love like everything to do with that season. Right. Um, I grew up in the Midwest uh, here in, in Ohio. Right. And so like I just cold and tons of snow and that's what I love. And I, I wrote this piece and I was like, you know, the magic only disappears when you let it, mm. you know, if, if I, cut everything else out that my ego is attached to. My ego is attached to my job. My ego is attached to answering friends back on my phone. My ego is attached to these personalities that I've, you know, my, these frameworks that I exist in, the, the networks, you know, podcasting. If I were to take all of that and the easiest way for me to get rid of all of that is to put my phone on airplane mode and it takes me about half an hour of my phone being off to really become present and then just go and stand in front of some Christmas lights and be like, wow, these are really pretty. And like really kind of ground yourself in that present moment and take that in. It's, it's like the ego doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe consumes not the right word. I'm just kind mm -hmm. of like verbalizing this on the fly. The, maybe the ego is more of like layers of dirt that get laid over these kind of these seeds mm -hmm. of childhood wonderment. Right. It's like, it's meant to, because wonderment and awe and beauty and, for me, like daydreaming is a big way that I just kind of keep in touch um, with my childlike side. And, and you just sit there and, and you allow yourself to think things like, wow, I bet like it's so crazy to me that all of these snowflakes are different. Yeah. Like what in the hell, Mother Nature? Like that is so crazy. And you don't discover stuff like that if you're walking down the road and the only thing you can think about is how cold it is while you're on your phone looking at other people's lives mm. trying to go to work that you don't enjoy you know and then there's all of those types of things stacked up but all of those are just frameworks where your ego is forcing you to exist mm. i like that you said layers of dirt there's actually a buddhist parable that also uh uses layers of dust as an example so like there's this old buddhist monk that goes and tries to clean this mirror that has been dirty for centuries and when mm. he tries to clean it up all the dust gets into his face and everything um but it but he keeps going because he realizes that up until the dirt is all cleaned that this then he will never be able to see his reflection up until that dirt is there his reflection will always be distorted Right. Um, and that it's a messy process. <clears throat> Once you clean it off, then you can see your true reflection. Right. What are, I'm wondering. So speaking of like things that haven't, you know, changed in centuries and such. Um, 
one of the positives of, of ego, right, is that it is a driving force for humanity. Mm -hmm. It pushes things forward. It, it causes innovation. It, it causes, you know, pride in family. Um, there's a bunch of things that the ego can do. Um, another piece, because I'm, you know, a union, <laughs> another piece of his, you know, studies is that this, the idea of the collective unconscious, mm. right? And, and, and how do you, how do you think the collective unconscious kind of plays into the idea of these frameworks that were, that we have? Define collective unconscious for me. So, so collective unconscious is kind of like, um, so, so Jung has these three different kind of pieces, right? Where he has, you know, the personal or the ego, the personal unconscious and the collective unconscious. And so ego and the personal unconscious have a really close relationship. Um, you know, that's kind of like what we've been hashing out this entire time is this ego and intuition. Now, the collective unconscious is like all of the lessons and knowledge that humanity has learned as a whole kind of passed down through the generations um, in order for us to be able to be kind of birthed and molded into our current time and culture and everything else. Right. And so it varies. There's a part of the collective unconscious that is like everybody is involved in it. Mm -hmm. But. You know, there's also like, you know, culturally, it slowly rifts that collective unconscious, but deep at the root of everything, he still says, like, outside of culture and everything else that they may have these layers, there's this deeply rooted part of just being human and the human experience that if you are able to find it and understand those truths, that's like, you can build a framework around that. Mm -hmm. And your question was, so how does the collective unconscious show up as an like, how does the ego show up in our collective con unconscious frameworks today? Right, um, right, exactly. So almost like more of a macro level thing, like ego and the collective unconscious interacting. One example comes to mind, and it is a highly political debate. So I'm just going to go ahead and preface that this is not necessarily a judgment. This is more of an observation. And if mm -hmm. I'm being, if I'm truly being honest, I think one of the ways this shows up is the way that the pandemic is being handled. That okay. like, you know, we have put our, I think it's ego that puts so much faith in like based on science, which is like, I believe in science, but I also believe that, you know, there are, there's so much more out there that we don't know. I I believe I'm right. a spiritual person. I feel very connected to the universe. Um, and I do find governments perhaps, you know, I um, trying for the sake of security versus freedom, you know, trying mm. to control mm. the narrative, control the situation. And I just wonder, is this a collective unconscious hmm. you know is this a and is this how ego is showing up in our collective unconscious um so i i question these things i wonder about them i don't know for right. sure um, i so i i i, I want to like i definitely agree first off like wholeheartedly i think that a lot of and and not necessarily by choice right by nature of the human experience a lot of things when when decisions are needing to be made decisively quickly, you know, ego comes into play because it's the ease, it takes the least amount of time 
to grapple with. Yeah. Right. Like if you just full on blow into ego and ego's like, okay. yeah, like you can do this. That's perfect. Fine. And then, you know, it's not until afterwards. I think we talked about it earlier in the episode. It's not until after afterwards that your intuition's like, dude, why? Yeah. Right? Why, like, like yeah. your intuition takes a little bit of time to catch up. So I can understand why, like in a pandemic scenario, everybody's just, you know, being ego driven. Mm-hmm. Or they, they fall into it because it's the easiest one to access. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting um, is so so in in Christianity, right? And um, I mean Abrahamic religions in general. You the, this idea of Lucifer, right? And and the devil. Um, I think is is really po- like a potent idea to be aware of when it comes to grappling with this idea of the collective unconscious and, and ego and how they interact because Lucifer itself, right. Is like light bringer. You know, this is, this is something that if we break that down, like this is something that is evil, but disguises itself as beauty. Right. Um, and Lucifer was the right-hand person to God cast down the whole nine yards. Like that's its own rabbit hole. If you want to dive down the fall from heaven. Um, but one thing I always thought was interesting is like, if you talk about Dante's Inferno and all of these different ways that Satan has been described over the years and the different layers of hell, there's this layer where it's like, you were so committed to rationality mm. that you are incapable of living. Mm. And, rationality is heavily associated with being the light, right? Like being the thing that is able to uncover and define things. It's able to bring things into existence, right? Like rationality is what allowed the the person that invented the microscope to see bacteria, use logic to determine that the bacteria is what was causing illness, you know, and then it exploded this massive thing and penicillin came out and, there's all these beautiful things that happen with rationality and people read that in textbooks, but what they don't read. And this is what I love doing is go and read those people's journals mm. and, and listen to the types of things that they were doing, who they were when they were discovering a lot of that stuff. And mm-hmm. they were very, a, a lot of times, very spiritual, intimately and intuitively connected people. But the collective unconscious seems to skew towards this, like, rationalistic approach it's like oh they discovered it because science it's like no yeah they didn't just science they discovered it because of passion they discovered it because of grit they discovered it because of awe and respect for nature they discovered it for all of these other things and faith right because it takes a lot of faith to be willing to go in front of a panel of scientists and say i know this thing exists but i haven't found it yet anybody that's attempted to go through the peer review process knows that that is batshit crazy yeah yep yep been there been there i have a science heavy background myself with mathematics finance software engineering quantum physics and yes that has been most of my life and you know that's that was the framework with which i used to see the world but it wasn't until i really started getting into quantum physics where you know reading albert einstein's journals some of the Mm. stuff he says like one of the things that really resonated was the more i study physics the more i'm inclined to study metaphysics Right. Yeah. The more I'm inclined to believe there is a creator. Yeah. That like, there's like, there's so much we don't understand and to just break it down into these little boxes of like, this is science, this is data. Let's analyze it. I mean, 
I like doing that. I love getting my brain to analyze stuff. Like that's how it's a skill that I've cultivated with the equipment that I have. Right. Um, but that's not, that's not the end all be all for me. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think evolutionarily, and this has been, this is a very raw thought PV. So like, I just had this <laughs> like maybe a week ago. And so like your audience will be getting it live, you know, and you can kind of hash it out with me and, and see what you think. But I've been fascinated with this idea of like human evolution for, uh, and, and just kind of thinking human evolution, technology evolution, consciousness evolution, layering those three things on top of each other and seeing where dates match up um, as far as like, you know, industrial revolution and, or the inventing of the printing press and the schism mm -hmm. in the Catholic church is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. Like Martin Luther was the first viral video and like he took his theses, gave it to Gutenberg. Like they printed a whole bunch of stuff. It went all over the world and it caused a rift in the largest, one of the largest religions in the world mm. that, it, you know, survived 500 years. It's very potent. Technology has done crazy stuff. So if technology has reduced the barrier to access to information, anytime a piece of humanity has become easier evolution selects criteria right it's like when the wheel was invented people that were super super aggressive hardcore hunters weren't necessarily as valuable as the people that knew how to manipulate the land and grow crops mm. right and like they still had value and it took a long time for the hunter gatherer types to phase out but evolution started selecting for the guy that could balance ph in the soil not the guy that could throw a spear 50 yards Right. And so now I'm like, I got opinions about this one. <laughs> right. Right. So, but so let me lay out like the whole, ahead, the yeah. whole thing. So, so there's pieces and parts, regardless of like what trait we decide to pick. And that may be a bad example, but there's, there's points in time where evolution kind of starts its thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we're existing in one of those points in time, right. Tech, just 20 something years ago, you know, if you weren't necessarily good or adapted to technology, it didn't really matter. Like mm -hmm. your skill set, it was required. The skill set is to be in person, have these conversational skills, all this other stuff. And the way that technology is trended now, if you didn't hop on that train and learn at least the basics of technical skills, you know, then you're not caught up. And this happens generationally over and over and over again. And it's meant to happen, you know generation comes in they build something the next generation takes it the previous generation kind of loses a little bit of touch with what's being built some of them are the bridge between the two to pass knowledge down and then the next generation kind of repeats the whole thing it's the whole like the youth coming up and saying these guys don't know what they're doing we can do this better and the cycle repeats mm -hmm. now that consciousness is advancing right and and technology is advanced are we entering this phase where like it's not it's not the people that are necessarily the most intellectual right it's not the people that are able to take this thing and make it more and more efficient because for me it's like the more efficient you make something the less resilient it is mm. i see what it you're might, saying it, it might increase in efficiency but it's not as resilient and if, if that's all we're focused on, because technology has allowed us to basically take our left brains and put them on hyperdrive. Mm. At some point, 
if are we either going we're either going to lose this intuitive piece that is so critical and important to the human experience or people are going to start having a like anaphylactic response to the massive increase in tech and they're going to realize well we can't do without this intuitive piece because mm. that's why i think so many people are having conversations about it because it's being selected for right now yeah and people are like wait a second like I'm coming out of this almost coma where technology allowed me to just do this and spread myself way out. And I'm realizing that maybe it was here the whole time. Mm -hmm. And they're having to grapple with that. So that's very raw and convoluted and doesn't really have a whole lot of direction, but in that ramble, but there's a lot there. See, I, this brings to mind what Edward Wilson says about we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and now we've layered on godlike technology. And right. so like, you know, technology, I would argue that technology is advancing faster than consciousness itself. And we're in that, at that cusp of human history, human evolution, where we're trying to bridge that gap, essentially. Mm. Um, and, you know, you say like, I've done um, AI work for many institutions and ultimately why I left was because every single organization that I've been a part of anyway, it's like those software engineers are just like their only social skills are yelling at the computer screen for a code not working. And within the departments, there's very little human interaction. And I was just like, how the fuck are we trying to teach or trying to learn artificial intelligence when we haven't figured out real intelligence? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it, does that, do you think that that is, you know, kind of, um, kind of a reason why there's so many people focused on this other area of intelligence, you know, like I know that intelligence for a long time was defined as, you know, standardized testing and your ability to thrive inside of this educational institution. But I've heard a lot more conversations through people like Brené Brown and Adam Grant mm. yeah, about the, the, EQ, the EQ side of the house. Do you think that maybe we're like discovering this other portion of intelligence? I mean, we knew that that was there for a long time but it's like going through a resurgence or. Right. So just to, for the listeners, EQ is the emotional quotient versus the IQ, which is the intelligence quotient. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, Correct. So yes, exactly. Like I do believe that to look at the whole person and you referenced this uh, a little earlier where you said our left brains are going into hyperdrive. And I, if I'm, what I heard was that, our analytical side mm -hmm, is going correct. into that hyperdrive. And so, I mean, yeah, so there's this intelligence is a funny thing. I would, my, my framework for how I view the part of how I view the world is that there's information out there. There's just tons of information everywhere. Then you absorb that information. It turns into knowledge mm. through critical thinking. You convert it into intelligence. And mm. so many of us are stuck between knowledge and we believe it's intelligence or like we get to intelligence and we believe that the, that is the end all be all but it's only when we start embodying that intelligence that it turns into wisdom 
Mm. And that's like, mm. there's more to the picture. It does It's not just that these are my fingers and my hand and my arm. It's that this is my body. So that information out there can be converted into wisdom. But it's just, so how do you embody the intelligence? I mean, I do that through meditation. That is really helpful. Right. Right. Do you think that, um, so like one thing that you said that was, that was, that's really cool is, is, you know, that intelligence, um, that you can get caught in thinking that possessing information is intelligence and it's not right. That's right. Knowledge. Like possessing information is just a piece of the, of intelligence. And, yeah. and I love that you broke that down. I'm going to riff on that for just a second. So it's like, if you take intelligence and you break it down into its core competencies, I love the fact that you used, okay, knowledge is kind of this base. And, and I, the way that I tell that to people is like information that you take in is your toolbox, mm -hmm. right? Like if you want to go build a house, um, you can go in there completely blind and with no instructions and do it like I do in Ikea, you know, piece of furniture, but you're just going to end up cussing at it. You're going to lose a screw and you know, it, it, it might get together eventually, but it's going to be painful process. <laughs> um, whereas if you know, you want to build a house and you spend, a t amount of time understanding how to and amassing the tools required to build said house. Then when you show up, you have a hammer, nails, you know, a measuring tape and all of the supplies. Um, and that's knowledge. I, and, but if you don't know how to pick up the hammer, put the nail into the wood and actually build the home in a way that it's not going to collapse on itself, then your tools are pointless. Hmm. Um, and that application is definitely like that intelligence as a whole. Yes. Now, yes, I agree. Now, like, like Google, for example, um, just if we, if we take everything away from it as just as a tech company, right? Like just, it, it's a search engine, you know, that's what it was designed to do at, at its inception. Instant access to as much information as you can handle. Right. And whether or not it's censored is a completely different argument. But like, let's mm -hmm. say that for sake of argument, it is it's un unfiltered information that you have access to. Mm -hmm. Which means that your intelligence or your feeling of intelligence might be artificially inflated. Yes. Because you feel like you have instantaneous access to knowledge. You don't have instantaneous access to intelligence. Right. OK, so I think this is where ego comes in. Because I okay. feel that ego is lies in the realm of like false intelligence or it like mm -hmm. it makes you believe that it's intelligence, whereas intuition falls in the realm of wisdom. Do you think maybe one, one, one thing that's coming to mind is I wonder if like wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and then notice the experiential truth. Because there's people that take knowledge and intellect and they'll apply it. And I see this in the entrepreneurial world all the time, right? Um, where they'll take it, they'll apply it, they'll have success in it, and they're incapable of celebrating their success. Hmm. Because they don't, they're not aware of what they just overcame. You know, they, they applied something and the knowledge was there and stuffed worked, but they're like, they can't celebrate it. Because they're like, oh, well, obviously I did these step-by-step -step variables. So of course it's going to work. Hmm. 
Whereas my intuition would say like, yeah, you can do all the variables, right? And sometimes life just smacks you across the face and it doesn't work anyway. So every time it does actually work, it's so beautiful. So, and every time it doesn't work, it's a lesson. Yes. So, okay. I can give you an example from my own life of how I've converted information into wisdom where okay. there I was... I ran away from home. I ran away from mm -hmm. home because I had the information that life could be better, mm -hmm. right? Then I go out and I'm homeless and that information is turning into knowledge and I'm experiencing like what it's like to be homeless. And I'm like, right. okay, I'm not trying to be fucking homeless forever. So <laughs> right. yeah, this senior year of high school. So I'm like 16, 17 years old, sleeping on park benches. And so I'm like, okay, how now I have this knowledge of what the world is like without a fucking roof over my head. How do I get a roof over my head? So scholarship to college. That was like, that was me converting it into intelligence. I went to the public library. Mm -hmm. I applied for uh, tons of scholarships. I got a scholarship to college and I was in pure survival mode. I was like, I need to do really, really well because if I don't get a job after college, like the only way I had a roof over my head and food to feed myself was through the meal plan and my dorm and right. if i like if i don't get a job out of college i'm screwed and so like i like i worked really really hard and then afterwards i fucking like was like i don't know what to do with my life so i went to more school and afterwards mm. i was like okay this is like more information more knowledge um and afterwards i was like i went to harvard and i was like i thought this would feel differently and so I went and tried to pursue a doctorate. And by the end of it all, I was like suicidal. Hmm. And I had no peace inside because I was living in survival mode, not thrival mode. Hmm. Um, hmm. And it was only when I, then I started meditating. And around six months ago, I realized I still had this fear of being homeless deep down inside. Like I was like attached to my money. Um, and it wasn't until I started embodying all the intelligence that I had collected, information that I had absorbed into knowledge, converted into intelligence through critical thinking, that it occurred to me, I'll never be homeless because my body mm. is my home. Mm. Mm. And so then I embodied that intelligence on a real level. So it's like, and that happened from slowing down, down not speeding up which you mentioned right. like, yeah, we're in like hyperdrive to like really slow it down and give your, your hardware time to cool down. Otherwise right. we're just like heating up in the background. Yeah. I mean, I talked to so many people and outside of the science of blue light and um, whether or not it affects your, I mean, it does definitely affect your ability to sleep, right? Like it's proven over and over again, the screen time before bed is horrible. Um, and if we like group together these the ability to embody wisdom and like the ability to dream requires you to slow down. Mm. You know, it, the ability to meditate requires you to slow down. The ability to hone your intuition requires you to slow down. There's like all of these things for me writing. If I have to do ghostwriting or copywriting for somebody, I have to slow down. I mm. cannot do creative writing in a mind state where I'm just like, going back and forth. Right. Yeah. Like I know when I'm in a state of mind, I'm like a selling mindset. And then it mm. takes me time to back myself out of that and then push myself forward into creativity, pull yeah. myself back out of creativity and push myself forward into something else. Um, but 
you until you actually do it and you experience it and you're able to take that all inside and, and gr grab onto it, you're not going to be able to really understand all the nuances. That's why I use that word all the time is like, mm -hmm. there are a lot of nuances to life, you know, the business, mm -hmm. business art and a science. Yes. Um, and it takes both life is both an art and a science. And I think it's so beautiful that you were able to get to this place where you're like, Hey, my body is my home. And I'm not going to be homeless again, right? Because I realized that I was home the whole time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the amount of psychological repair that that one realization has that you said, did you say you had that realization while you were kind of like meditating in that, in a state or oh, like yes. when you slowed down? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is something that you want to talk about the benefits of meditation. You take that and it repairs every single time your soul has had to feel that over the last however many years. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I think. That's why forgiveness is a sacrament in the, in the church, mm. in the Catholic church. To let right? go. There's the, yes. Yeah. There's, there's a reason why letting go is such a beautiful thing and why Lucifer, the light bringer, you know, will tell you, it doesn't make any sense to let this go. You experience this for a reason. You need to hold on to this so that you can protect yourself in the future. That makes logical sense. You know, it makes biological sense to learn from something that we thought was negative and keep it in our brains to protect us from the future version. But if you really get comfortable with yourself, and like you said, you realize that you are your own home, then there is no requirement for that. Yeah. And Man. it fixes so many different things. Letting go. That's going to have to be a conversation for another day. All right. Well, yeah. wow. This conversation was amazing. Jan, if people want to find out more about what you're doing and who you are, where can they find you? Um, one of the best places will be LinkedIn. Um, you can just look me up, Jan Almasy. It looks like Jan, pronounced like you're about to fall asleep. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, or you can go to chase the apex.com. Um, that is more like our, our business, our consulting stuff. Um, we do a lot of work when it comes to helping people build communities. Um, when it comes to, um, really helping articulate, like I say, the nuances of a brand, who are you, what are those anchor points? What are things that you can do to really get that voice out into the world in a way that you feel really embodies who you truly are? not just some gimmicky, you know, sales written copy. So oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on my show. This was amazing. I appreciate it, PV. Thanks for the invite.